is very disorienting. Um, so Galatians 3 is, is where we're going to be this morning. We um, finished chapter 2 last week, and, and I'll admit that I was not uh, as carefully expositional as I normally am, and I'm not going to be either this morning. Um, we'll deal with what's here, but I'm going to work in, in terms of a theme rather than in terms of working through this verse by verse. So you've been warned. Um, let me pray, and then we'll read one through five. <clears throat> Our Father, we love you, and we sit here this morning before you um, because we love you and because we want to hear from you. Um, we've already sung praises. We've already spent time visiting with one another and getting caught up. Um, we're here to start a new week and start it in the right way. We're here because we believe that your word is true and that it has bearing and meaning on our lives. Um, we're here because we know that we've been pursued by you so that we could be rescued from death and from sin. We're here because we need the encouragement of seeing one another, of praying together and singing together. But we're also here for a host of other reasons. And we want to confess that sometimes our expectations of church are not entirely biblical. And sometimes our desire is, is not entirely glorifying to you. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would move in our midst this morning in a way that conveys mercy and grace. In a way that reminds us that the gospel is about forgiveness and not judgment, and that you would move in a way that makes our, our hearts sure of your affection for us so that whatever reason we've come here, we would leave here changed. We can't do that, but you can. So we commend um, this, this morning and commit it to you, and we commit our time and our minds and hearts to the study of your word for these next few minutes. Please help us. We pray in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Galatians 3 verse 1 says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Two weeks ago, I said um, that in the weeks to come, we would see how justification changes our relationship with the law. And I know that I said that because I went back and listened to it. Um, I, I made an error when I say that because I, I risked distracting you all from the whole point 
of Galatians when I said those words. Justification does not change our relationship with the law. Justification is about our relationship with our creator. Justification changes our view of the law. It may change the role of the law in as far as how we interact with it. But our relationship is with Jesus Christ, not the law. So I regret having said that. In an effort to make the point more stridently, last week I forced you all to look at my x-rays. Um, and the point was to dramatically illustrate the function of an x-ray. An x-ray machine is a diagnostic tool. That's what, it, that's what it's for. What it does is it, it shows you the problem. What I wanted you to see in those x-rays, I'm not going to show them again, don't worry. <laughs> what I wanted you to see is that underneath my skin was something so broken that no external manipulation was going to fix it. There was no physical therapy that was going to knit my shattered bones back together. What I also wanted you to see was that no amount of taking x-rays of my shoulder was going to fix it either because the diagnostic is not the cure. It doesn't fix what's broken, it just shows what's broken. My illustration of the law as a diagnostic, which I stole but I don't remember from whom, my illustration is vastly better than the more common illustration of the law as a mirror. When you wake up in the morning looking like a wildebeest <laughs> and, and catch a glimpse of yourself in the mirror, no amount of staring into the mirror is going to fix what you see there, right? You just keep looking and you're going to look like that until you do something about it. That monstrosity that is you, fresh out of bed, is not going to change without you changing it. The problem with that illustration is that you can do something about how you look when you wake up in the morning. You can bathe, you can style your hair, you can slap on some makeup, you can shave, these are things that you can do in order to change what you see in the mirror. And to that effect, a mirror is a, a beautiful illustration of the role of the law in sanctification. But it's a horrible illustration of the role of the law in justification. An x-ray, an MRI, or a CAT scan generally is showing you things that you cannot fix. Things that require intervention from somebody else to fix. The law shows us then two things. First, we are broken. And second, we cannot fix it. We good? Yes. All right. How we become justified is the subject at hand in Galatians 1, 2, 3, and we'll have to wait and find out about chapter 4. Remember, justification is the one-time declaration by God that a sinner is righteous through faith in Christ. Justification is the one-time declaration by God, the judge, that a sinner is righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. Do we become justified 
by keeping the law, or do we become justified through faith in Jesus Christ? That's the question. Paul had preached a gospel of justification by faith to the churches in Galatia. In fact, he established those churches in Galatia. There were no churches in Galatia before Paul came through there. And this means that at the very least, Paul was convinced that enough people in those regions in Galatia had believed his presentation of the gospel of justification by faith. Enough people had believed and agreed with it to establish groups of believers that would get together and worship together and seek to edify one another and glorify God. It's not as though some untrained, witless preacher had come through with some half-brained version of the gospel. Paul knew what he was talking about, and he's the one that established these churches in Galatia. These folks had come to faith under probably the best teaching on earth after Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. They were not deceived. They had good doctrine. They had accurate views of God. They understood who Jesus was and what he had accomplished. So what we're looking at then, if you agree with everything I just said, that Paul established healthy churches, what we're looking at then is a situation where a once healthy community of faith, a once doctrinally sound community of faith had somehow become corrupted by bad doctrine, by false gospel. Does that make sense? Okay, so we'll pick it up in verse one. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Well, how have these Galatians become bewitched? I think that's an important question to answer. So what we're going to do is spend the entire morning answering it. And actually, I think a better question would be, what does it mean to be bewitched? Because this is not language that we use in our culture, right? In fact, if, if you've used the word bewitched, other than in a conversation about the 1960s TV sitcom in the last 20 years, I would be really surprised. We just, like, who says bewitched? We don't say that word. We don't think of being bewitched. Unless we put it in terms of modernity. So if I, if I describe what it is to be bewitched to you in terms that we can all identify, then I think we'll appreciate it more. So in October of 2019, ABC News ver uh, viewers saw breathtaking, I mean breathtaking footage of Turkish forces attacking uh, Syrian Kurdish civilians on a border town between Syria and Turkey. And I think this is an especially apt example because we're talking about Galatia, which was in a region within what is modern day Turkey. But this nighttime video that ABC News showed depicted th this incredible expenditure of ammunition accompanied by dramatic explosions and like that laser-like tracer fire along the plane of the horizon. It was amazing to view. And then the Chiron beneath the video read, crisis in Syria, ISIS prisoners escape as civilian death toll rises in attack. 
Some of you may remember this because your heart most certainly went out to anybody that was on the receiving end of all of that incoming gunfire. Interestingly enough, the gunfire was only going one direction. There was no return fire. Fortunately, for the Kurdish civilians that were under attack in this video, they were 6,000 miles and two years away from the events that were depicted in the video. Because what was actually being shown was a Knob Creek, Kentucky gun range demonstration of full auto machine gun fire on gasoline canisters that had been uploaded to YouTube in 2017. Viewers were bewitched by ABC News. The Kardashians, <laughs> primarily known for being attractive, have repeatedly been mocked for posting what proved to be photoshopped images of themselves on social media. These images featured walls that were curved, door frames that went out or in in the middle stair rails that just didn't quite line up. And the reason for this is because when you use Photoshop's smudge tool to make parts of your body bigger or smaller, it also smudges the pixels in the photograph behind you so that walls are suddenly bowed and come out of alignment. So young girls all over the world have been bewitched by the Kardashians' photos, not to mention the young boys. October 14th, 2005, an NBC correspondent by the name of Michelle Kaczynski was reporting on flooding that was happening in Wayne, New Jersey. When NBC's Morning Today show tossed their segment to Kaczynski, the live camera shot showed this reporter courageously canoeing in the middle of a street at great peril to herself in order to demonstrate how dangerous the situation was. Kaczynski had barely finished commenting about the depth of the water when two men strolled into the shot between her and her cameraman, revealing that the water was in fact only about ankle deep. <laughs> had those hilarious men refrained, viewers would have been bewitched by Kaczynski's ruse. From prosperity preachers healing people, which has been thoroughly debunked, to the highlight reel of social media, which to this day will make you feel like you're the only person who doesn't vacation in the tropics once a month. <laughs> people are being bewitched all the time in spite of the fact that we live in a day where people claim that they are postmodern, but are so willing to believe whatever gets posted on the internet. We understand what it means to be bewitched. It means to be deceived. It means to be taken in. It means to be hoodwinked, taken by an illusion. So Paul correctly identifies the problem in Galatia. These Christians have been bewitched. And his question is, how? Who did it? You were going one way, and now you're going another. On May 6th, 1990, just two days shy of my 10th birthday, uh -oh. <laughs> a Venezuelan couple 
had born to them a beautiful, healthy baby boy. His mother and father named him Jose, and by age five, had probably given up any hope of Jose ever playing professional sports because he was tiny. However, when little Jose first took a bat in hand, he was enchanted by the magic of baseball. Growing up in Maracay, Venezuela in the 90s meant that you were a baseball fan. Not unlike growing up in Omaha, Nebraska means you are a Husker fan. And if you're not, it's just because you're one of those small, resentful people who can't appreciate the finer things in life. (laughs) Jose was no exception. His size notwithstanding, Jose liked to hit dingers. In 2006, at the age of 16, Jose attended a Major League Baseball tryout camp in Marrakei. However, MLB scouts refused to let him participate because they suspected that five-foot-nothing Jose was lying about his age. They didn't think he was old enough. But Jose loved baseball, so the next day he returned to the camp with his birth certificate in hand, thus proving that he was 16, and he was able to try out. And MLB scouts were impressed with what they saw, enough so that they eventually signed little Jose as an undrafted free agent in March of 2007. That summer, Jose blasted a batting average of 343 in the summer league in Venezuela. In 2008, he moved to the United States where he played his way up to the minor leagues. And by 2011, he batted 408, stole 19 bases in 52 games. This caught the attention of the majors, and little Jose was called up to the Astros on July 19, 2011. Officially, Jose Altuve is listed at five foot seven. Actually, he's only five foot six. But what Jose Altuve lacks in size, he makes up for in sheer power. In 2017, Altuve and the Astros won the World Series. Jose smashed 14 runs home, scored seven by himself, and added nine extra base hits. Altuve established a franchise record for total hits in a postseason. Further, he tied the record for home runs by a second baseman in a single postseason and hit the fourth most among all players ever. Little Jose won the Babe Ruth Award as MVP of the 2017 postseason. So it's a little disenchanting when you find out that the Astros had mounted a camera in the stands in center field focused on the catcher. Now the way baseball works is if you're the catcher, you have a series of hand signals that you throw to the pitcher to ask if this is gonna be a curveball, a slider, fastball down the middle, and the, the pitcher looking at those signals determines what pitch he's going to throw and gives the catcher the okay when he sees the one he wants. The Astros mounted a camera behind the pitcher in the center field stands with a feed into the dugout so that the batters in the dugout for the Astros could see what pitch was coming next and signal whoever was at bat so that they would know at the very least whether or not this was a pitch they should swing at. When a young person first takes a swing at a pitch, 
or catches a pass and runs it in for a touchdown or drains a free throw or slaps a puck into the net. They're not thinking about the millions that they might make playing professionally, right? When you're a kid, you're just playing sports because it's fun. Or let's make this more relatable. When you first took a controller in hand and manipulated the characters on screen, you were enchanted by the puzzle and the relative harmlessness of losing or failure. So why do we search for cheat codes? Or why do players break the spirit of sportsmanship in an effort to get a sure win? Why do people begin one way and then end up going entirely another way instead? Well, they become bewitched. Their priorities get out of line. It stops being about the love of the game and starts being about something else entirely. They leave behind the purity of the activity in favor of the surety of a win. And it changes the way you function when you do that. In the aftermath of adultery, when ex-husbands and ex-wives are sifting through the remains trying to figure out what happened, with the exception of those situations where it's obvious what happened. When asked the question, why did you cheat? By far, the most common answer is, I don't know. By far, that's the most common answer. Reading the testimony of wives and husbands who were unfaithful again and again, you see the same comments. I don't know why I did this. My wife was amazing. I don't know why I did this. My husband was everything that I could ask for. So what happened? It's simple. These people were bewitched. They were seduced, hoodwinked, taken in, if only for a moment, into thinking that there was something better than the path that they were on, and it lied on that path over there. Our culture is so marinated in naturalism. We don't even realize this, but we're so marinated in naturalism and post-modernity that we don't give much thought to non-physical realities. And what I'm talking about works like this. We don't stop and consider what spiritual forces may be at work when we are tempted to sin. Instead, we think it's just a website. No big deal. We think it's just my taxes. No big deal. It's just a homework assignment. No big deal. It's just a little flirting at work. No big deal. I'm just skipping my time with God for today. No big deal. I'm just skipping church to relax. No big deal. And maybe it's not a big deal. Maybe it's not. But we might want to stop and consider, am I being bewitched? I mean, think about my examples. Jose Altuve, a professed born-again Christian, may, we don't know that he did, may have participated in the biggest cheating scandal in Major League Baseball. And if he did, the reason he did it was simple. He was seduced by something other than playing the game of baseball. Spouses who live in the wreckage of a marriage trying to sort out the pieces left from a nuclear blast created by their own selfishness were seduced by something other than the dream of a happy marriage. 
The Galatians, once the professed people of God, saved by earnest faith in Jesus Christ, convinced in their hearts that he had been crucified to redeem them from sin, convinced in their hearts that he had been substituted for them, that he became sin on their behalf, that they might have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Men and women who had wept, who had prayed, who had sacrificed their time and money and been baptized and joined the family of faith. People who loved singing hymns and songs and spiritual songs were seduced by something other than simple love for Jesus Christ. They were bewitched. Right out of simplicity and purity of relationship with Christ into the chaos of works-oriented justification. How do we think that happens? Were these brothers from James just such smooth talkers? Were these Judaizers from Jerusalem? I mean, did they have like really good PowerPoint transition effects? How did it happen that the Galatians were seduced away from simplicity of relationship with Christ into the chaos of law keeping? Well, they were bewitched. But Paul's not giving them an out. He doesn't say, oh, you poor Galatians, you were bewitched. He doesn't say, oh, dearest Galatians, look what you've done. You've been deceived. He asks a rhetorical question because he doesn't think that they have been bewitched. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. Now, this is not the same as when Jesus says in Matthew 5, if you call your brother a fool, you're guilty of the fires of hell. This is a different kind of foolishness. This is a word which basically means to know not, to purposely not reason correctly. This is the opposite of where wisdom starts. Wisdom begins with the fear of God. Foolishness begins with not believing in God at all. And what Paul is implying is that the Galatians have forsaken relationship with Jesus Christ because they've taken their eyes off of Jesus Christ and thus have forgotten what it was that they first believed. He's not giving them an excuse. Look what he says. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Like you knew how this worked before, and now you've just, what, you've forgotten? You can't recall anymore? Do you hear it? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so because of the law or by hearing with faith? Do you hear it? They left, they left simple faith in Christ after they had suffered loss in order to gain that faith. After realizing there was nothing they could do to merit salvation. After 
after Paul publicly portrayed Jesus Christ as crucified to them through his preaching, after beginning by the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts, in their midst, after seeing miracles of provision, of healing and salvation, after all that, they left in favor of the law. And Paul calls them fools. They were bewitched. So I thought this week, gosh, how would we know if we were bewitched as a church? And I think you can't be as a church without most of us being bewitched individually. So I thought, well, what would that look like if our little fledgling baby bird congregation here in Springfield, Nebraska started to be bewitched? And I thought, ah, I think I know what it would look like. This, like what we're doing here, would start to get real complicated and real stupid. That's how it would look if we were bewitched. We would start fighting about our preferences we would start sowing seeds of discord. We would start forming factions. We would start making it about ourselves. We would stop studying our Bibles and instead study big, heavy books full of doctrine. Like a husband deserts his wife for a moment of passing pleasure. Like a wife deserts her husband for the thrill of a new pursuer. Like a kid with a team and a dream of competing against the best in the world abandons that dream in favor of winning against the best in the world. Fidelity slips away, and in its place are hypocrites who would rather appear holy than be holy. That's what it would look like. I don't think we're like the Galatians, but I think we're certainly in danger so long as we might desert Jesus in favor of empty religious ceremony. So what happened in Galatia? Paul says they began one way, and now they're doing something else. What happened is relationship with Jesus Christ got replaced by religious activity. So why do I encourage you to start your mornings with Jesus? Why, a few weeks ago, did I encourage you to pray like you're talking to a friend? Why do I think it's important for us to read our Bible regularly? Why do I think coming to church on Sunday matters? Why would I suggest to you that Bible study, prayer, and fellowship are so critical to your soul? Because these are the means of tending, enriching, and assuring the relationship that you have with your creator. It's a way to, to, to take the depth, as it were. How are you doing? Do you have a walk with God of your own? Are you in vital relationship with Jesus Christ? Or... Alternatively, are you only bewitched? Let's pray together.